we'll do some heavy bat training that, that gets a little aggressive at times with guys. And I know that's been out there for a while, but we, we really buy into that. Uh, we ready for war. Never back down. Give me some more. We came for the title. Killing the game. Dead on the ride. No mercy for rivals. This is for glory. What is up, everybody? This is Patrick Jones, and you're listening to the Patrick Jones Baseball Podcast. Hope everybody is, is having a great start to this week, wherever you are listening to this. I'm glad you're here. Glad you're joining us. In today's episode, we have a fantastic guest. It's the heart of college baseball season. It's mid-March now, and, and college baseball is in full effect, full swing of things. And so I thought I'd bring on one of the, the best hitting coaches in the country and Kurt Elblin. Kurt is currently the associate head coach and recruiting coordinator at Virginia Tech University. I heard him speak at the ABCA this past year in Nashville and, and was really impressed. And I thought, man, I need to get this guy on my podcast. I think all the listeners would really enjoy listening to him. So we're able to get him on, which is awesome because I'm sure as a lot of you know, college baseball coaches are extremely busy. So for him to take time out of his busy schedule to join us is is awesome. I appreciate him doing that. In today's episode, we talk about how they do things at Virginia Tech from a, a player development standpoint, from an approach standpoint, and also we get into recruiting too and what Kurt's looking for when he's out on the recruiting trail. He also gives some advice for up-and-coming coaches who want to coach at the Power 5 level. So appreciate Kurt for coming on the podcast today. He was fantastic, and I think you're really going to enjoy listening to him. So one of the things that I do on a weekly basis is I send out a weekly newsletter. It's called The Hitting Chronicle. And I think if you're listening to this, you have a growth mindset. You're looking to you to get better, to help more players. And so if you head to my website, patrickjonesbaseball.com, and put in your name and email, you'll automatically be added to The Hitting Chronicle subscriber list. It's it's completely free. And so every Tuesday, I send out um, you know a newsletter where I sometimes I give drills, sometimes I give mental game tips for hitters you name it we do it there so every tuesday i send that out it's completely free head to patrickjonesbaseball.com put your name and email in and you'll be subscribed to the list well it's ever since i started this it is it has really blown up way faster than i thought it would we've we've had we have thousands of coaches now on this email list receiving this every single tuesday so make sure to join if you haven't already okay now we're going to get in the episode with kurt eblin All right, Kurt, we're now live on the show. I appreciate you coming on today, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, Patrick. Certainly a fan of your uh, of your stuff and excited to chat. Yeah, I heard you speak at ABCA this year at the the hitting uh, hitting side panel. I, I don't even know exactly what it was called, but I thought you were awesome. Um, you were up there with Andy McKay, who we've had on the podcast, too, a couple weeks ago. Um, but my first thing that I, I want to throw out at you is what what's something that that you do that other coaches, if they knew you did it, would be like, oh, that's pretty unconventional. Like maybe it's something that you do that in the in the coaching world that not a lot of people would would do to like, with their own players. Oh man, that's a good one. Um I think in the in, in the grand scheme of things, we we try to make it as game-like as possible when we train our hitters. So um I don't we we hit our guys with balls. Um you hit your guys with balls. We do. We that's do. Awesome. <laughs> um, there's some softer balls in our BP hoppers. So that's one thing that I don't know if a lot of coaches do, but you know, the game I think is 
Um, sometimes played on the inner third. Um, and if guys missing there, you got to make them pay. I, I'm not always happy with the way we actually handle it in games, but that's, that's one thing that we do. Um, that's, that may be a little off the wall. Um, but we'll do some, we'll do some heavy bat training that, that gets a little aggressive at times with guys. And I know that's, been out there for a while, but we, we really buy into that. So I, I, those are maybe my two dumbed down answers there. So heavy bat training, is that just overload, underload type of training? Yeah, we'll, we'll swing um, unrealistic heavy bats. Just um, we'll hit it, we'll, we'll do it off machines too. Um, we have some, a guy, I actually got it from Eric Snyder from Louisville, a guy out of uh, Chicago, I think he used to be a plumber, makes these things called power pipes and they're, they're long and they're heavy. They're skinny, um, but our guys kind of really enjoy just the challenge and hitting, whether it be live or, or machine or, or flips. So we do that. Um, we'll split grip it. Um, we'll do axe bats. We'll do balance bats. We'll do camwood bats. Um, so we, we try to confuse our guys quite a bit when it comes to heavy bat training. So is that the thought process behind it, where it's not necessarily you like the camwood bat a lot or you like another bat a lot it's more so just changing up the variable for them so they're they're constantly having to self-organize to you know whatever task are thrown at them absolutely i think that the more you let athletes figure it out on their own uh from an offensive perspective i think that the, their movement um cleans up a little bit uh when you give them something short to something heavy to something long that you would do fat grip stuff um i probably I'm not a huge drill guy, but I'm more of a gimmick guy when it comes to bats. I think our, our best guys, um, if you if you put something in their in their hands that they're not familiar with, they'll figure it out, you know, and, and the more they have the ability to feel themselves move and adjust, I think that's pretty big for us, especially when when you talk about trying to, you know, hit something that's that's 95 and then, then something that's 84. I think that heavy bat stuff actually helps a little bit. Totally. What about on the opposite end of the spectrum, the underload? You see the overload, underload. Do you buy into the underload? Are you guys doing any of that or just mainly focus on the overload? No, we do. We do. We'll swing We'll swing light bats. We'll, we'll, we'll swing some fungos, some longer, lighter fungos. Um, Driveline has the uh, the blue light axe bat that uh, I think with some of our guys is they're training to develop some better exit velocities or better bat speed. You got to they got they got to feel themselves move fast and move the bat fast, and so I I'm, I am a big believer in that. The stronger guys, the guys that you know uh, maybe might need a little more variability in their swing or adjustability, we might just stick with the heavy stuff with them. But some of these some of these lighter guys that we're trying to teach to to move the barrel a little faster, I, you, you got to let them move the barrel faster. So we totally, yeah under load training there. Um, on, on game days, I know it, it's probably hectic with some, you know, depending on what day of the week it is and classes and things like that. But if time's not an issue, what's the process like for you guys? Like, is there a, a hitting prep routine that each player goes through or everyone goes through at the same time? Like what, what's kind of the, the process like? Yeah, I, I kind of like our game day stuff and our guys have grown. Um, it, it's been trained into them um, when I first got here, um, you know, our, our staff, it was a little bit of a struggle getting these guys used to, to, to kind of what we wanted them to get done on a game day. But um, if we have a, let's say we have a stretch at 11 before a BP, we'll, we'll have them come, you know, uh, to the field around 10. Um, they'll do their movement stuff. So we do a lot of med balls, some water bag stuff, just get the, the core activated, get them moving. 
in the right uh, in the right direction, the right spaces, and then they go through their routine. Their routine um, it fluctuates, it 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 differs throughout the year um, depending on what they need and what they're going through in their games. When we get them here in the fall, every guy does the same routine, but not every guy needs the same drill set. So that that thing kind of becomes individualized. But on game days, they'll go through their routine after they get their movement work in. And then we'll go to overhand flips. Some guys will jump right to the machine. And this is before BP. Uh, if if the if the goal that day is to, to see velo because we're going to see some velo during the game, we're going to show it to them right away. We're going to show it to them um, before BP. Once we get BP going, um, we try to match the approach that, that, that we're tailoring to our guys for that pitcher to what we're doing in BP. So we like to do a lot of angled velo up in our cage, and then we'll try to see the slider or the fastball. Whatever that pitcher's weapon is that day, we're going to show it to him up in, up in the cage. And then on the field, it's usually some mix of, you know, at-bats or we're alternating or we're spinning them uh, and along with some directional hitting. So it's it's a process, but our guys crave the machine on – on game days, like if we don't, if we go on the road, we travel with machines. These guys are just so accustomed to seeing velo or seeing it angled or seeing a spin pitch. And the more we do that, the more I think they they're able to to kind of get their eyes ready for 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 that six seven o'clock game, whatever it is. Do you guys also do the traditional BP approach too on game days, or is it mainly just kind of what you're talking about, just challenging machine angled that type of a thing? Yeah, on the field, on the field, we'll give them some feel-good stuff. I, you know, each guy is a little different. Some guys need challenge. Some guys need to feel good. And I used to be a big believer in, in like, hey, man, like your BP doesn't matter. But to some guys, it does. It really yeah. does. It just allows – it's like leaving the leaving the gym on a made uh, free throw or made, made jump shot. Like, some guys don't leave on missed shots. Just like – so our, our, our BP sometimes is – Tailored to what those guys need, but up top in our cages at home, it's tough and it's meant to be tough. On the field, we'll give them, if we have four rounds, two rounds will feel good, two rounds we're mixing them. So it's kind of a, a happy medium there. And some guys, uh, you know, if I'm throwing to them or our, our you know, Coach Hanson or Coach Peter Sean or whoever it might be, is throwing to them, like I'll, I'll say, hey, the, he might need some middle fastballs today because <laughs> he's not feeling good, right? So it, it depends, but we we try to have a good mix. Yeah, that's. I think it's it is important to, to balance that out. Like you said, there's some guys who just they have to have that some of that feel good, catch a couple of barrels, which I totally understand um, heading into the game. When it comes to like game planning, like helping helping the guys game plan, like you know looking at you know whoever is th- the pitcher that's throwing that day. What's that process like for you guys? And I know you probably you don't want to give away all your secrets, but. I mean, is there a typical team meeting and it's like, hey, here's how we're going to attack this particular pitcher. Like, We're going to cut the plate in half when we get yep. to two strikes or like what's that what's that usually like for you guys? If you were to ask our guys, it's probably too much. Um, I just I just don't want to leave the guys unprepared. We're going to give them as much information without overloading them as possible. And we let them take what they need. Last year, you know, we, we had. Obviously, Gavin Cross, a top 10 pick, had a second or fourth and a fifth rounder. We have some first rounders on our team right now. And each one of those guys wanted something different out of our scouting reports on a game day. Some guys wanted to get on. We have Win Reality, which is a great product. And, and so 
we'll get at bats and, and we'll see pitches on the goggles during our early work session. Um, you know, some guys just want to know what the fastball is doing. Um, what we try to do is we give them as much information as you can to eliminate pitches based on what our hitters do well and what they do well in certain zones. So we'll let our guys know where that pitcher that we're facing gets slugged, where he has his swings and misses. And then they try to tailor that to what they do well as a hitter. So if this, you know, if we have a guy that's coming out of the bullpen that we know we're going to see and he's 70% spin, but there's a right-hander in our lineup that doesn't hit spin well, he is going to cheat to the part of the plate where he can maybe handle a fastball, right? Or if there's a guy that just doesn't hit a high carry pitch and we know the the, the arm that day is super high carry, um, we're going to throw him high fastballs in BP and he's going to have to take him or push it down. And his at-bats become a little more on, hey, i got to find a way to get on base versus I'm trying to do damage. So we try to take the information that, that we have via synergy or true media or whatever it is. And we try to tailor to our guys strengths. That's it. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it's about eliminating options as a hitter, eliminating, like, if you're not going to hit the guy's slider, like we're not even like, we'll show up, but then we're not going to talk about it. Um, and we're going to try to get the fastball in a different zone. That way it doesn't tunnel to that slider area and they're not going to swing and miss it. So I don't know if that stuff makes sense there, but that's kind of the that's that's kind of the process that we go through when we when we do our scouting reports. You guys do a ton of video, a lot of video. Yeah, a lot like some guys want it, some guys crave it, some guys don't want it. But we're once again like we have some guys on our team that are ACC transfers that have come here and, and even even in other leagues and you know they're just they they wanted something that they weren't getting and, and like we're just going to put it all out there. And some guys don't need it, but we, we just want it to be an option. So we're going to we're going to take video of our guys swings. We're going to we're going to show video of the opposing arm and how guys choose to use it and, you know, kind of absorb that information is on them. And we talk we talk about that a lot. Well, I mean, every one of our guys have have a uh, Google Drive folder and, and probably I'm, I'm remiss and I, I got to stop. But like we. I think we have the best staff in the country when it comes to hitting. I'm not talking about me. Tyler Hanson, our volunteer, Tyson, Peter Scheim, our, our uh, hitting consultant, and then our development guy, Kyle Sayers. And those those guys are just aces when it comes to just working with our guys and putting together really good plans. But we have all this data, we have all these, uh, we have all these tools and, and, and toys and stuff that we can use at our disposal. We're going to do it. And then depending on what, each guy kind of wants and needs. They're gonna they're gonna make that decision on their own. What do you What do you think? You mentioned before you've had some guys transfer and they've been at other programs too, like uh, Power Five programs. Like, what would you say your guys' reputation is? I hope it's the the fact that we have fun when we play. They enjoy the game, but more importantly, like we try hard. Like we try hard. Like people asked me last year a lot. Like you know, you you, you guys look like you develop players, right? Like. And that's we spend more time, money, effort, energy on development. But inside of that, like we try really hard. Like we when we practice with guys, like we watch them. There's three guys in there. We're watching them hit. We're watching them, you know, take their their T routines. We're constantly around them and talking. And then I think what you see is then our players learn how to talk to each other and they learn how to kind of coach one another. 
and coach themselves. So that's our goal is we want our guys to be able to have the ability to, to be their best coach and to know what to look for uh, during practice sessions, drills, whether it's just watching the ball flight or, or, or watching video on their swing. So, I mean, if I, I were to say we do anything well, I would hope that it's that we, we try really hard to yeah. coach our well, I think that's a, that's such a big part of it too. I mean, players, if they they see that you're trying, you're putting in effort, like they're they're going to be they're, they'll be all in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Versus if you're just rolling the ball out there, which at some places they unfortunately do that, where it's like, okay, let's go out and recruit the the best players possible. We'll just roll the ball out there, and whoever plays the best in the fall, they'll be playing in the spring, and everybody else, well, sorry, good luck next year. Yeah. <laughs> I think that gap's getting close. I do. I think that gap's getting really close from, you know, there's there's just just with all the information out there, the strength training, the um, the nutrition, like players, like the top 100 player, whatever system he's ranked in versus the guy that's ranked 250, I don't think that gap's that big. Mm-hmm. And if the gap's that big, that guy's not coming to school. He's going to the draft. So my right. point is, like, you, you got to develop your guys. You got to coach them. I mean, that's kind of what we're paid to do. So, like, if at the end of the day, if, if a player leaves our program and he says he wasn't worked with or he wasn't coached or he wasn't um, taught the game, then that that would be the worst thing that I think could happen. Whether his experience is good or not based on his successes or his failures, as long as they're coached and as long as they're, you know, they're cared for, that's that's, that's kind of what we want and that's kind of what we really try to uh, to get accomplished here. What about on the on the mental side of the game? Like, I mean, are you into like players keeping journals? Like, how do you go about doing that? And th- I know this is tough, man. I know you said you got a really great staff of of hitting guys who know the game of hitting, but it's hard when you're just it's just it's different in the private sector, right? Where in the team setting, you only have so many hours. You're you've got all these guys. Like, it's it's not easy. But how if you are able to, like, how are you able to help those guys with the with the mental side of the game on? on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis? Yeah. Um, so we have three sports site guys here. Um, one's a woman. I, I apologize. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, they're uh, at, at Virginia Tech. They work with our athletes, and they're they're awesome. That, so our guys, some of our guys, they, they utilize them, and, and and they should. We've also had Brian Kane come in um, every other year uh, to help our guys and, and create really good routines. Uh, our BPs are littered with routine oriented stuff. Um, you know, we have a green plate on deck for the guy that's waiting to go in the cage. We have a red and a yellow plate uh, for the guy that's in the hole working kind of on his release. If something's going wrong and he's practicing his release, if a, a pitch gets called a strike, he thinks it's a ball like that physical flushing uh, motion, whatever that be, uh, whatever that is for that guy, he, he does that. And then, um, you know, Every once in a while, we just see y'all step out. Like we want our guys to control their breathing, um, their mindset. So we we talk about it quite a quite a bit, and we practice it. It's you know, and we'll do some book studies too. Um, you know, I give them give them some books and some some chapters to read. Mental keys to hitting, heads up baseball. We've we've done some 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 classroom sessions on that. So I'm a big believer in it. The journal thing in the fall, and, and what we've done the last two years, that we buy a guy a journal. Every guy gets a journal. Our BPs have a journal station for the first three weeks mm. of of our practices. And then from there, like, I don't want to force that on guys. Some guys aren't like that. Like, they're just in, – in, and I get that. 
but we're going to give them time to do it. And then once they get going, if that's something that they find value in, uh, they'll keep doing it on their own. So uh, the long and short of it, yeah, we, we we work on it. Absolutely. I think you have to. The game is built around failure. Yeah, I kind of like it. Your, your guys' approach is you, you, it's like a buffet. You know, you're giving the players all the information, all the tools, like all the the data, you even talking about the mental side of the game, but you're not forcing it down their, their throats where it's like you have to do it no matter what, which I like. I think hitting is so individualized, but it's important to expose them to it because that can create curiosity and get them to buy in too. So I think that's that's a really good point. I was listening to you on – uh, the Figure It Out uh, baseball podcast, uh, Jeff Stanek, who's awesome, yeah. does a great job, a lot of great content. And I heard you say one of the things that, because you've coached at the Division three level, you've coached the Division two level, you were at VCU. And I heard you say like, one of the things is when earlier on, especially in your career, you wouldn't take a job unless you were able to recruit. And I thought that was, that's one of the first times that I've heard anybody say that. Um, did you turn down opportunities at, at bigger schools potentially to, to go at smaller ones just so you could solely recruit? Uh, yeah, bigger. Um, I will, we'll say bigger. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I, I feel like um, when I got into the game, my goal was to ultimately run a program and, and be a head coach. And, and that's, that's obviously still in front of me. But I knew to 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 do that. I thought the game was built around players, and to to have good players, you got to be a good recruiter. And you know, I, I wanted to get out there. I wanted to grow my network. I wanted to work camps and and do showcases and and be kind of um, in the forefront of some people's minds when it came to the hiring process. So, but recruiting for me was was more about just having the ability to talk to people um, and 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 sell a vision, right? You know, and so for for that side of it, I thought that was something that was going to allow me to to grow as a coach as well. Because at the end of the day, our style, like, isn't that isn't each player's style that comes in here? We we got to sell that as well. So I thought they kind of the coaching and the recruiting kind of went hand in hand, and that's why I you know I made some decisions based on you know my ability to be on the road and, and go out there and and kind of um, you know see players, evaluate them, and, and try to get them. To where I was at the time. What's something that, like, from a recruiting standpoint, that uh, you're 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 all in on? Like, you you have to, like some guys where it's they they'll only offer a player if they they see him a certain amount of times, or if a position player maybe it's a certain amount of times. Like, is there something in the recruiting process that you have to do in order to offer a player? There's a couple things, and I yeah, I don't want to. There's, there's no secret to it. Like, <laughs> I don't want to say that. They got to do they got to do one of – and this is just a dumb down. They got to do one of three things well. They got to defend at a high level. They got to run or they got to have bad speed and show the ability to hit. One of those three things are going to get you on the radar to be recruited for us. Um, like there's, there's, there's non-negotiables in that regard. If we're going to take a hitter nowadays um, – they have like they have to show. We use blast. I love it. Um, they, they, there's one metric that we sell out to um, every elite hitter that we've every good hitter that we've had here has done this well. And if they're not doing that well, we're not taking the hitter. So how do you like, know it, without getting them on your in your program? Like how do you know if they do that metric well? 
use your eyes as best you can. Like we want guys to be good movers. Like it's, it's no secret. Like I, I think taking the guy that's physical, um, but looks like a stiff mover, um, is probably going to struggle to adjust and hit VLO. Um, the guy that's maybe a little undersized, but is a really good mover. I think his ceiling is so much higher. So like that looks different to a lot of, a lot of different evaluators, but to me, like, if we're recruiting an athlete that moves well versus a really strong guy that 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 has high exit velos, that has a really big arm, but there's effort to the game, I think with the way we've found a way to kind of teach our, our hitters how to hit and slug, like you're going to take the better mover. And so there's a way that we've identified that, and that's a non-negotiable when it comes to hitting. From a, from a makeup perspective, um, there's a couple of things out there, but – um, it's really tough for us to move on a kid that doesn't communicate well. Mm. It's like that's something that, and that's more of a personal preference for me. Um, I value kids input. I think coaching a kid is, is not a one-way street. It's a two-way street, but they have to have the ability to look at you and talk and ask questions. And if, and I know we recruit young players, but, if you can't get that over the phone or at a camp experience, like it's, it's tough to offer that guy a scholarship. So that's just, that's just my stuff. It's just stuff that we've talked about as a staff and kind of things that we hang our hat on. When you say communicate, you just mean like being able to just be able to hold a conversation. You gotta be like, if I asked you a question, like more than one word answer. Yeah. Right. You gotta be able, or, or maybe you have the ability as a young person to look up and, and ask, ask me a question. Right. I try to end every phone call with a recruit, like, Hey man, like hopefully you've been doing some research on us or maybe you watched us play last week. Like any questions on anything and they don't have to ask, but you know, a comment or a question, usually there's, there's some insight there from that you're getting from the kids. So, so we, we like that. I like that. Um, and that just kind of matches my coaching style. So, um, one of the best pieces of advice that I ever got, and, and it was this from Stiff. He's like, if you if you want to coach a kid, you go get the kid, right? And so we're start like I've, I've started to identify things that that tell me that I want to coach a certain player, and if these things line up and they check some boxes, and we want to coach them, we're gonna try to go get them. Is there a red flag that a player can say to you where you're like, whoa, what? I don't know about that. There used to be, um, like when I was younger, and and you know just you know, Johnny Hardhead and you wanted, you wanted players to play really hard and say all the right things. And, you know, I think a lot of in, in, entitled, um, in, in anything entitled or anything that, you know, just doesn't show the, the kid that, that, that he would be able to trust or be humble uh, inside your program, anything that creates a red flag there, we're probably out on. So um, we want kids that, that work hard, that are overachievers, that want to learn, that, that uh, understand that, that there's more to life than them, that, that the world does not revolve around them. Any inkling of that, usually, you, you know, we, we find ourselves walking away from kids. Um, you can find a lot of that on Twitter. You ask a kid, like, if they had a game, like, how to go. You know, some kids are going to talk about their team first. Some kids are going to talk about their performance. That's a pretty telltale sign there, too. Mm. That's a good point. How many kids do you follow? Would you say in a in a class at one time? Like, let's just 
2024 class. Like, and I'm sure you've, you know, there's some guys maybe you've already offered or committed, but how many players would throughout the, the, the course of time would you follow in that class? Like on, on social media? Or yeah, just, 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 I mean, not necessarily like actively like trying to recruit or talk to, but you're just, you're just following them. A lot. A lot. A lot. Like a hundred? Yeah, probably. Like yeah. a lot. We have, we have databases inside of our recruiting software, but we also make Excel sheets, which are probably antiquated, but uh, it's just what we do. Um, and, and we kind of rank them and we watch them and, you know, uh, between myself and Coach Fecto and Coach Chef and even like keeping up on kind of the social media front, Coach Hanson, um, you know, we have, I would like to think we have a pretty good system, but a lot of checks and balances going on and, and just trying to make sure that, you know, the guys that were ready to move on have been seen by multiple guys on our staff. But more importantly, um, we're looking at the analytics side of things, the makeup side of things, um, you know, the performance side of things, production, all that. So we follow, we follow quite a few. We have to, we're not, we're not handpicking guys like some of these schools in the SEC and even in our league. Like we understand the pecking order. We get it. And I think we're getting really good players and I don't believe in the rankings anyway. So right. I think we're all, it's just, you know, unfortunately we just, we just, uh, I mean, the Gavin Cross kid wasn't even a top 100 kid in the state of Tennessee. He was a top 10 pick. Um, I thought he was one of the best players in the country coming out of Tennessee. He used to do a lot of PG stuff because he was hurt. So, um, and PBR stuff. And, and that's not knocking those organizations, but rankings are based on accessibility of, of players. And sometimes you don't, some players aren't getting that. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I got there. Yeah, no, I, I hear that. How do you go about identifying those players? Those so hundred players, is it just combination of things? Is it, yeah. I'm sure you have a lot of contacts at this point. Coaches reaching out, uh, our camps going out and seeing, um, going out and seeing events, um, looking at PG and PBR and these other websites. Um, a lot of it is word of mouth and emails and texts and phone calls from coaches just recommending players. But, you know, we're, you know, I'm constantly actively pursuing, you know, five to seven organizations and that are kind of our hotbed and, seeing who they got and then going and watching. So it's, there's a combination of things, uh, but we do a ton through our camps. How many times would you say you watch a player before you, you do offer him on average? Four. Four. Yeah. Four. And, and two of those might be in a showcase or in a workout. We like, we need to see guys hit from an, like we need to see them pitch and have success. Um, COVID changed that a little bit, right? Like you could, you could recruit guys off video and off of, uh, Twitter because you weren't allowed to go out, stuff like that. Um, but I'm back to like, you need to watch them up close and they, you need to see them do well. I, I, I firmly believe that. I think hitters hit, I think pitchers get outs and you need to see those guys do that. Yeah. From a pitching standpoint, I mean, I know you know, you're the hitting coach there, but you're also the recruiting coordinator too. So I'm sure you watch a lot of, a lot of pitchers. What would be like the average velocity that you're, that you're looking for? <laughs> if it was up to me a hundred, um, <laughs> but it's not. Um, and, you know, between myself and coach Fecto and coach chef, you know, kind of deciphering the arms and going through that, like it's based on grade, it, but same thing. It's more about movement. 
It's mm. more about how well they move. Can you project the body and the arm to take a jump? Um, the older they get, the harder they have to throw, obviously, because you want to see those natural jumps happen. But if we're recruiting a freshman or a sophomore and they're throwing in the mid-80s, great. If they're throwing, if they're left-handed, they're throwing 80, but they can really, you know, they can use the changeup and spin the breaker and, and they can locate their fastball and they move well, it doesn't matter what they throw. It doesn't matter. I mean, you you can get outs a variety of ways. I mean, we, I mean, this past weekend, 95 beat us and so did 84. So, like, and, and it bats, right? So, it's uh, – I think a lot goes into it, but it's more about can you see that arm getting people out and making jumps? Um, and that's kind of where we're at with it. But, I, you know, I, I think the game is built around power. I think um, power and movement can can coexist, and command power, command and and uh, movement can all work together. So I'd like to see it all. Kurt, I got a, a twofold question for you here. Um, first one, first part of it, biggest mistake you've made as a coach, and then the second part is like most proud moment you've had as a coach. Oh my God, biggest mistake, man. There's too many of them. Um, Probably twofold. One, thinking that, you know, I I knew it all, um, and and not like my biggest mistake as a young as a young coach, and I probably learned this last year, even more is like, like I I, I need to learn from our players. Like I think I think there's guys out there that that know the game, that can talk the game, and they're 18. They see things differently, and you can learn a lot from your players. It doesn't have to be, and I'm still working on this as a coach, but it doesn't have to be like I'm speaking at you and talking at you. Um, but I think my biggest mistake as a young coach was not listening and taking the information that you were hearing or even asking our players more, my players more um, about what was going on. I thought, I thought it would have helped me a lot uh, earlier in my career as a coach. Um and, and, and in addition to that, in the same breath, I think the biggest mistake is always thinking that your players, because they shake their head, understand or buy in. Like, mm -hmm. your players need to know why. They need to know why you want to do something as a coach. They need to know why you're teaching it a certain way. They need to know why the drill is being used. Um, and don't ever take that for granted because I think the best teams I've ever coached had – really good buy-in, but they understood what we were doing as a staff. And I don't ever want to take that for granted. If I'm teaching a third-year guy, a secondary lead at third, like I need to explain it well, like coach everything. Don't ever assume that a player knows exactly what you're talking about. You need to make sure they can kind of regurgitate that information to you. Um, proudest moments. Proud, I, I don't know. I, I have a couple. My proudest moment, to be honest with you, is probably, you know, the two Supers that I coached in. Um, but but to be honest with you, it was, it was probably being at um, Gavin Cross's draft party last year and hearing his name called at number nine overall. I, I just, you know, I put a lot of um, – I, I, I would like to think I have a really good relationship. I was texting him last night. He hit that homer um, in the Cactus League. Um, you know, but I've, I've felt like we've grown pretty close and to see that kid 
handle the the year that he did last year. I mean, there was 30 scouts at every practice. And I felt like he handled that so well. Um, that was that was a pretty proud moment. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Going going back to what you're talking about of of assuming players like know already. That's not a mistake that I've actually made too. I think sometimes when you you have a player come in and, and maybe he's a, a top prospect or a top player, you just assume he knows stuff. And uh, yeah, that's a mistake that that I've made too, where it's like you can never assume that they know anything. So I'm glad you're I'm not the only one. Yeah, we there's some guys that don't, and this is not to their fault. They just never right. there's some guys that don't know the numbering system defensively. Like I, we we had some guys, we were talking, I, I said something like it was like nine five two or something, like a you know, a, a put out and uh God didn't know what nine was. So like that happens. Yeah. And uh you gotta explain everything for sure. What what's your take on the, the pitch clock? It's well, it got me ejected last weekend. So um <laughs> I'm a fan of it when it's controlled the right way, just watching it. Um the first game of the season. And look, umpires are just doing their job. And I'm not I'm not calling out any umpires here, any anything like that. But the first game of the season, as the game was going on, and we were down in Charleston, I was counting in between pitches. And umpires, they're they're told to rush guys into the box and one foot out, and they have to be in inside of 10 seconds, yada, yada, yada. But our guys were having to deal with a pitch then a reset and a sign back into the box in six seconds. There were four straight bats. Our guys had an average of like six seconds in and out of the box, and, and that's too fast. I think it's a good thing from a fan experience, from a uh, just a, just enjoying the game while you play it, as long as it's controlled by the umpires, meaning if a hitter gets into the box and the pitcher is getting into the lineup before the hitter gets his – both hands on the bat, or he lifts his eyes. I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. Um, but there's, you know, there's some times this year already where it's really, really hurt us. As because we we talk a lot about routines and, and breathing, and you can't do that anymore. Shoot, I, I struggle to put on signs with runners on base after a foul ball. So a kid fouls one off, and he gets disconnected, and he kind of stumbles across home plate, and then he walks around the catcher. Then he gets one foot in the box, and I want to put on a sign. I can't put on a sign. Can't put on a sign. So, like it's it's that's where I think as long as our our assigners and our umpires are doing a good job of having feel for the for that situation in the game, I'm good with it. It speeds the games up. I, I get to hang out with my kids way quicker. I get to see my wife way quicker. Like I'm fine with it as long as we keep winning and our guys stay in good routines. But I think I think there's and you're going to see it at the major league level. Like, there's going to need to be some discretion involved. Right. Well, for example, if it's the ninth inning, I mean, can you imagine? I saw that. I don't know if you saw that in that spring training game where it was a walk-off. I mean, that that can't happen. No. Cannot that happen. happen. No. You're, at that point, you're ruining the integrity of the game. Like, that's just um, – once again, this you know, the, the, the game is built around failure. There's no other place uh, on earth or any – profession or or anything that allows you to fail right there and have a moment of failure but then saying you got to get right back in there like you can't you can't process it as a human being and get it out of the way 
Um, I just don't think we're built that way emotionally um, or mentally. And you're seeing, you know, some guys just really struggle with it. Some yeah. hitters have really struggled with it. I've, I've watched other hitters on other teams, some guys in our lineup, they've struggled with it. The guys that they, they can kind of decompress quicker are okay, but it is absolutely an adjustment that is, um, that is you know, needed to be made for sure. What's your, what's your regular routine like? Like on a, you know, during the week, maybe I, I think a lot of people would be interested to, to hear like what a college coach is like typical day is like from the time they, they get up to, you know, the end of the day going, going back home again, like what would be a typical oh. day for you? <laughs> uh, it's changed. I have three kids, right. And, and I love them. They're my life and to my wife and she does a great job and she allows me to do this and stay busy. But, you know, I usually work out at six 45 every morning. I go to a gym that's local and get a workout, come home, breakfast into the office, put my kids on the bus around eight, into the office, you know, before nine, sometimes a little after nine, depending on what's going on, you know, and then your to-do list, it's either recruiting or scouting report at that time. Um, in season, you know, my job as a recruiting coordinator, I have to balance that between coaching our guys. It's why, I mean, Hanson, Peter Scheim, and Sarazen are so, so crucial to our, to our success here. They, they take so much off my plate. In, in helping coach our guys when I need to be on the road, like they're going to run practice and I'm going on the road. So, um, but, but that morning is usually built around what needs to be done that day. Is it, do we need to prepare for the upcoming opponent or is there something recruiting that we have to take care of? Um, or is there something player personnel driven that we, we need to handle, whether a guy needs to get right offensively or we got to do some different things defensively. So trying to, filter what needs to be done right there in that morning. That that's, that's pretty important. Um, you know, all the while handling your phone because as a recruiting coordinator at the power five level, that thing doesn't stop. So balancing that is tough, but then obviously you get to lunch and we usually have a staff meeting um, around uh, nine, nine 30, 10 o'clock. And then, and then it's early work and and then it's practice and or game. And, and then afterwards it's, if there's any meetings that we have to have with players or a staff, we'll do it. Um, I do my best to, when I go home from whether it's six to eight, seven to nine, five to eight, depending on the day, like I do my best to, to just, I, I need to give that time to my family. And so that's really important to me. Gosh, I wish they changed these recruiting rules. They're about to do it in January. And I wish they did it where we can't talk to kids until their junior year. I hope that passes. That's that that'll keep me in the game longer. I can assure you that. Um, <laughs> but like, you need to have that work-life balance, and um, you know that's that's important to me. So, if I have phone calls that I need to make or, or take, they usually wait till you know after bedtime. So that's kind of my day. Um, but I feel like I've I've come accustomed to operating in chaos, and I think at the baseball. Oh, just with our profession, just how year-round it is and having a family, you have to be able to adjust and you have to have a good support st uh, system and, uh, at home to do that. I have that. Um, but operating in chaos, I think it's an art form. I've not mastered it, but dang it, I try it every day. So, Are you able to get away from the game one day a week or is it seven days a week, 365? Uh I do. I try. I try. Sunday, 
we had a tough series. BC's good, right? So right. we lose that series at home. And, and um, you know, Sunday, um, I got away from it a little bit. Our guys got away from it. I watched some some league games um, at 1 o'clock and um, tried to hang out with the kids. So, like, yeah, if we get a chance, I'm doing it. Like, believe it or not, I'm not a fan of baseball. I'm not. I'm, I'm really not. Like, I'm not – like – I'm not going on vacation and going to watch a game. I'll watch our players or players that I've recruited and coached. I'll go watch them play in big league ballparks and um, I'll do that. I'll take my kid to a game if he wants to, um, you know, back home in, in Pittsburgh or take him to a local game down in Pulaski here if, if, if I need to. But I am not a fan. I'm a competitor. I love coaching the game, but I sit down at, at night I'm probably turning on something else in baseball. I'm just not that. I'm just just, just where I'm at. I'm I'm I'd rather watch the NFL and I don't I'm not a big fan of what they stand for, what they do. But however, I I like I like uh professional football. I, that's just where I'm at. So I when I do get a chance to get away from baseball, I can do it. I can if I have the time and my job's not pulling at me, I'll do it. Kurt, it, it's you come across to me as someone who is perfect for college baseball because of, of how competitive you are and wanting to win. I think if I, if I visioned you in like the minor leagues, I think you'd be miserable because it's not about winning there. I think that would drive you nuts. <laughs> I've been, I've been approached a little bit about that and I can't like, look, here's the, there's another side of that too. Like I have no professional experience. I was a, I was a, an average player, but if you talk to me back in the day, I was the best one walking the face of the earth, but having that professional expertise to kind of give to a minor league player. I don't have it. Can I coach him? I think I'd do a great job at it, but I can't coach him. I can't coach him professional baseball. Someone had to pay me a lot of money to do that. I can't, that's just not where I'm wired to. Um, but you're right. I, you know, I'm not there. I'd rather, I like coaching the game and, and coaching the approach and finding competitive advantages to win a baseball game, I think is, is, is where, you know, where where it becomes fun. Kurt, last question for you. If you could give a piece of advice to a, a younger coach who who looks up to you, right? They they want to be at the power five level. They they want to be like you and, and coaching and being a recruiting coordinator. What advice would you give them? Uh not so much advice. Um don't ever take a job for money. Don't ever take a job for money. Take it for the experience. Um that's one. But two, like you got to be true to yourself. I, you know, if there's something that you believe in and you think it works and you think it'll win, um, sell out to that vision. You know, um, there's so many different ways to teach a guy how to hit. So many different ways to teach a guy how to field ground ball and all this Twitter stuff with guys talking about hitting. Like, it's a joke. Like, it's it makes like I don't want to get into it, but like. There's so many different ways to teach the game. There's so many different ways to win a baseball game. Um, but if there's something that you value and there's something that you believe in uh, and there's a coaching style that you want to kind of use and, and, and be involved in, sell out to it and be yourself, um, you know, and, and make it your own. And I feel like I've I hopefully, you know, I, I think I've done that. And I might I, I don't know where this thing ends. And I don't know when it's going to end, but at least at the end of the day, I feel like I've I've been true to myself as a recruiter and as a coach. And at the end of the day, I think that's all you can do. So that's that's my advice. And take it for what it's worth.
Awesome. Kurt, appreciate your time, man. Yeah, no doubt. Appreciate you as well. Thanks so much.